This is the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast, and I'm your host, Chris Desmond. Today's episode 28, and I'm chatting with Hannah Rutherford. Hannah is a physio in Sydney who I've known for a few years. Earlier this year, she left Sydney to go and work with Mercy Ships. Hannah goes into more depth, but basically living in a massive floating hospital off Madagascar, and along with a whole lot of other staff, helping out the locals with healthcare services. So this is a pretty cool conversation about getting uncomfortable and wondering if you have the expertise to do what's required. We talk about how your expectations aren't always met, but this isn't necessarily a bad thing. And probably most importantly, Hannah lets us know that when we help others, we get just as much satisfaction ourselves. Thanks for taking the time to spend some time with me and Hannah today. If you're new to the podcast, then welcome. If you've been listening for a bit, then welcome back. If you like what you hear, then a comment or a review is always the best form of appreciation. Thanks as always to my little bro Jeremy for the slightly uncomfortable tunes. Uh, And thanks for getting uncomfortable with me and Hannah today. G'day Hannah, welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. It's cool to sit down and have a bit of a chat with you tonight. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm feeling really good tonight. Excellent. Very good. Very good. So Hannah, can you give our listeners a little bit of background about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I'm uh, originally from Nelson in New Zealand, and then I went and studied physiotherapy at Otago University. Um, and following that, I moved up to Auckland and worked at Middlemore Hospital for about two and a half years. And then three years ago, I moved to Sydney. And um, since then, I've been living in Sydney, currently living in Paddington and working at a large private hospital on the North Shore here, which does a lot of um, surgery. So I mainly work in surgical, post-surgery rehab as a physio. So cardiothoracic or general surgery and a bit of orthopedics as well. Um, and yeah, so that's where I've been for the last three years. That isn't just where you've been for the last three years though, is it? You've, uh, (laughs) not too long returned from a, uh, bit of a jaunt over in Africa, uh, with, uh, Mercy Ships. Can you tell me a little about a little bit about Mercy Ships, uh, what what they do, and also kind of why you decided that you wanted to go over to Africa with them? Yeah, I would love to tell you about Mercy Ships. So um, when I first, as a new grad, when I first started working as a physiotherapist at Middlemore Hospital in Auckland, um, one of the senior physios there had just returned from Mercy Ships. And at that time, I think it had been in the Congo or somewhere in West Africa. And um, she 
just raved about the whole experience and just said it was the most amazing thing. And it just sounded really cool at the time, but I was a new grad and I didn't really think that much of it. And then about two years later, as I was starting to think I wanted to leave Auckland and travel, I actually had a patient who was getting a hip replacement and he was wearing a Mercy Ships hat. And so I was just making a bit of conversation and I said, oh, I've heard of this organization. And he then got excited and told me all about it. And he said, you'd be the perfect sort of person to go. And he was so enthusiastic. And so they sort of put a, uh, the idea in my head and looking them up on Google and watching YouTube videos of this organization. And at that time, I, I wanted to go overseas. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. So I started putting the application together for Mercy Ships to see if I would get accepted and it was quite an application process you have to get uh, referrals from your manager and from some kind of leader in the community and then a friend as well and then you have your CV and your experience and then say why you would be a good candidate to volunteer for this organization Um, and they accepted me but then they also said that Ebola had hit West Africa and they weren't going to travel to West Africa at that time. So I was kind of put on hold. So instead I decided to move to Sydney and I took a job in Sydney and I kind of forgot about it for a couple of years. And then um, I got this email saying that there was a posting and that the Mercy ship was going to Madagascar for 10 months and would I like to go? And, you know, all I've heard about Madagascar is what's from the movie and the lemurs and beautiful beaches and... I was like, yes, I want to go to Madagascar, definitely. Um, So I started looking them up all over again and getting excited and trying to get in contact with some people so I could find out a bit more about what I was putting my hand up for. So I guess initially I was really applying just because I wanted to go overseas and I um, wanted to go overseas for an extended period of time, not just for a holiday. I wanted to go and sort of get the feel of a culture and... Um, stay in one place for for a bit longer and to do that you kind of need an excuse or um, something that can kind of take you over there so that was really my motivation to begin with but once I was there and once I realized what this organization did I realized it was going to be a much much bigger trip than just going overseas for an extended holiday yeah it's a bit different to uh, Kiwis and Aussies going and doing their OE over in the UK and (laughs) experiencing a very similar culture on the other side of the world. Yes. So I guess I should tell you about what Mercy Ships do. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. So it's an organisation that runs a fleet of hospital ships. So there's actually only one ship um, that's sailing at the moment, but they are making another one. So there will be two. Um, And they've had a few different ships in the past, but now they've got this one ship called the Africa Mercy. And it is an old uh, ferry from somewhere in Europe that they've redone so that now the bottom floor is entirely a hospital. And it has five operating theatres. It has um, five different inpatient wards so they can um, sleep up to 80 inpatients at a time. They have a lab. CT scan and x-ray and pharmacy and then obviously rehab services as well. So it's a fully run hospital. 
There's also a small intensive care. So if people need to stay ventilated for a bit longer or need closer monitoring, there's a small intensive care unit as well. And then the rest of the ship is made up of enough uh, cabins to sleep up to 400 volunteers at a time. There's a big cafeteria. There's a small cafe where you can get Starbucks coffee. There's a shop um, so you can buy all the things you need. Um, washing machines for everybody, big lounge areas so we can chill out on our time off. There's a pool on the top deck. Um, so it's a fully big cruise ship that's yeah. um, a hospital and a home for a lot of people. Man. So what sort of size is a ship? It just sounds ginormous. Well, it's not that big. It's a lot smaller than a lot of the cruise ships that go around okay. the country and things like that. So like a lot of – I was sleeping in a um, – a six bed dorm. So there was a little cabin and there were six, three bunk beds. So we're, we're living in close quarters, um, but there is enough room for everybody on there. I think there's five levels on the ship. So. Okay, um, cool. So you were there for the whole 10 months of the trip to Madagascar? No. So um, it spends 10 months in one country and then it has two months where it, um, does sort of a dry dock and refurbishes everything and then it will go to another country for 10 months and while it's there depending on what profession you do you go for a certain amount of time so the minimum time a physiotherapist can go is for three months um, and that's because you want continuity of care for the rehab for these patients um, so I volunteered for four months in Madagascar so I was there from January through to the end, beginning of May this year as a nurse, you can go for six weeks or eight weeks. Um, a lot of the surgeons go for one or two weeks. Um, it really depends what what service you're providing and whether or not you've been before and can pick up kind of where you left off. There are people that volunteer for the full year or for multiple years. Yeah. Wow, that is very cool. What yeah. was living in a six-bed dorm like for uh, four months? I actually found it really easy. I I thought it was going to be difficult, but um, I had the bunk furthest away from the door, um, which meant that no one was walking back past my bunk space. And each bunk space had a desk and a cupboard for the people in the bunk and then a big blackout curtain. So you can pull the curtain and then have your light off and you actually don't notice if the light is on in someone else's bunk space. And everyone's just pretty considerate of each other. So I even worked with a nurse who did shift work. So there'd be... Some days that she was starting at 7 a.m. and other days she wouldn't start till 2 and then she was doing night shifts and, and it just, like, it didn't bother us. I never woke up to her. She was a silent sleeper. We were both tidy and <laughs> it was fine. But I do have some friends that had snorers or had people that were quite loud and I don't know if I'd be quite so okay with it if yeah. I was in that situation. <laughs> oh, lucky you got a stealthy bunk room. Yeah, I did. <laughs> so, Hannah, besides the uh, bunk mates, were there other things that you were nervous about before you went? I was really nervous about what sort of patients I'd be seeing and whether or not I had the physiotherapy expertise to be working with these patients because they're going to be conditions that we don't see at home. Um, and I didn't actually know before I left if I was seeing orthopedic or um, burn um, contracture or plastic surgery patients. I didn't know what clientele I was going to, so I couldn't do too much research before I got there. 
but fortunately the team was so supportive and um, they gave us a lot of training when we got there and any questions you had, there was someone there that could help you and it ended up, it is the same the same physio that you do at home, it's just slightly more complex or a slightly different condition that you've seen, but the basics are still the same. So it ended up being fine, but um, I was really nervous about that. Yeah, um, yeah. Everybody's body is is the same as, as someone else's, really. Yeah, you're still strengthening or working on range, or you still got the same goals of improving function. So it ended up being fine, but I was yeah pretty nervous about that to begin with. Understandably, any other stuff you were nervous about? Um, I was nervous about so much. I like I. I think I was really busy actually up until the time I left. I was, um, I did summer school for a, a uni paper and I had to move out of my flat because I was going away for six months. So I kind of didn't give myself time to get too nervous before I left. And then when I arrived, I was like, oh gosh, what have I got myself into? <laughs> that's when it hit me. And I was like already over there. And I was nervous that I wasn't going to make friends and I was nervous that, um, I was stuck there and like, what if I didn't like this? But like, I don't know, even within a week I would kind of settled in and um, and everyone was so welcoming that it, it all kind of eased off pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, we can build build those things up for us a lot. Um, if we're out doing something different or doing something uncomfortable, um, that we yeah kind of tell tell ourselves these stories like you like you're saying oh what if no one likes me what if I don't know what I'm doing what if this what if that and most of the time like you found uh, most of those fears are, are pretty unfounded which is great yeah yeah definitely Hannah what type of patients were you seeing there what was your role so I guess maybe I should say what sort of work Mercy ships did in these mm. countries. Yeah, they yeah. Um, so the main focus is on surgical services. So they do um, make a uh, lots of maxillofacial and cleft palate repair and removal of tumors from um, from anywhere really. And then they also do a lot of goiters and hernia repairs, and then obstetric birth fistulas and um, and then orthopedic um, for young kids, any kind of bony deformity. So a lot of old fractures that didn't heal well or people with bow legs or any kind of lower limb deformity that's affecting how a child can walk. And then they also do a lot of burn or plastic surgery. So the plastic surgery, a lot of it is for old burns that have contracted. And so we do um, contracture releases but they also do a lot of surgery on congenital deformities. So we had a few people with gigantism, um, a few people with extra digits and weird things like that, and we just removed the extra digit. Um, a few people with, I think it's called syndactyly, where your fingers are stuck together, so we release the fingers. Um, so all sorts of things, but mainly a lot of conditions that you just don't see at home. Um, and that's the surgery part of it. But then Mercy Ships also does a huge amount in the community and they go out, they went to every operating, um, every hospital that had an operating room in the country and gave out blood pressure cuffs and 
oxygen saturation monitors and taught them the WHO, the World Health Organization surgical checklist. And they um, did a lot of work in the local hospitals with training on how to do a safe anesthetic and basic trauma care and basic maternity or obstetric care. Um, and yeah, so a huge amount of capacity building projects as well as the surgical services that we offered on the ship. So um, the time that I was there, I worked purely with plastic surgery. We had a couple of orthopedic surgery patients who were slow to heal, so they were on our caseload, but the majority of orthopedics had been discharged and we're starting a whole new block of plastic surgery. So I was working with these people that had had the most horrendous burns and the huge scars that had just never had any treatment. And so the first time they had any kind of healthcare or treatment for these burns was with us, which sometimes was 30 years after that had the first burn. So we worked with all ages um, and it was fascinating work. I've never really worked with burns, apart from acute burns at Middlemore Hospital. I've never worked with these old burns for rehab. So it was a big learning curve for me, but it was amazing to work with. And the results we saw were incredible. Awesome. Awesome. So the guys that you were working with, how did they get burnt in the first place? Did you find out? Yeah, so I think there's varying um, statistics that I've read, but I think Madagascar's between like the sixth poorest country in the world to about the 10th poorest country in the world. So it's, it is very, very um, underdeveloped. And majority of the people that I was working with, a lot of them don't live in the cities. They live in villages in the bush and um, they're still all cooking on open fires in their house. And majority of the burns we saw were from those open fires or from a boiling pot that had fallen off an open fire in the house. Um, and then there was also a lot from kerosene or from oil lamps um, that had tipped and then come down their face or on their arm. And then there was a few petrol burns as well. Um, so it was a bit of a mix, but the majority were from open fires in the house. Man. And these were kind of all old burns, really, that you were that you guys were dealing with. And obviously ones that had been affecting people's quality of life for a really long period of time in some cases. Yeah, yeah. So especially some of the more obvious ones were burns to the... Um, shoulder and the and the elbow and when they contract up they just completely lose movement in that shoulder and we had a few people that would have less than 20 degrees like shoulder movement forward or sideways they literally couldn't take the elbow away from the side of their body because the burn had stuck it to their side um, and we had one guy whose burn was down the back of his leg and it was so bad that he actually his calf ended up being stuck to his hamstring and it had been like that for over three years, and he'd been hobbling on one leg for that long. So, for people that uh, aren't familiar with the anatomy, that's <laughs> the bottom of your leg, your knees are bent right up, and your, the bottom of your leg stuck to the top of your leg. Man, that's that's crazy. So, for these burns, the surgeons were operating and trying to repair most of them. Yeah, so most of them were skin grafts. So they'd take a graft of skin from the other leg or from another part of the body and then release 
the burn, the skin that had stuck together and then put new skin down so that they'd have movement again. And then we'd have to splint them so that the arm wouldn't come back down into that position. And they'd be splinted for two weeks and they weren't allowed to move it for two weeks, which is longer than at home. But I think these, there's sort of some evidence that they heal a bit slower in the developing country. I'm not quite sure why, maybe to do with nutrition or I'm not sure. Um, but then after those two weeks, you just want to get as much movement and as much strength back in those muscles as you can to try and maintain the new range that they've got in that joint. So that's when our physio came in. Um, so, yeah, we had one guy who literally couldn't move his elbow away from the side of his body. And by the end of his surgery, he could have both hands up above his head. And he just had the movement of this whole arm back again that he hadn't had for 15 years. So it was amazing. The younger people, we had quite a few kids and a few teenagers, and the results that they had were just amazing. Some of the older guys, because the burns had been so long and the joints um, themselves were really contracted, we didn't get quite as good a result. So still much better than than beforehand. But these some of these guys, the teenagers, from behind, if you didn't see the scar, you wouldn't even know beforehand his arm was stuck to his side it was incredible man that's that's just crazy awesome how much it sounds like you guys were able to impact these people's quality of life and actually the amount of function that they would have after the mercy ship team coming to coming to that area compared to what they were like before it just kind of blows your mind a little bit. Yeah, and for them, it was all free. So um, they didn't have to pay a thing. We gave them food the whole time they were with us. We gave them accommodation while they were receiving their rehab. And we gave them money to get a bus home at the end. They didn't pay a thing. That's um, that's amazingly awesome. So, Hannah, you, got, you were working with these guys pretty intensively for over quite a period of time now this may breach kind of privacy standards and things but did you have any favorite patients oh yeah (laughs) yeah well some of these patients saw every day for three months um so you definitely have some that stick in your mind a bit more than others um probably one of them would be jimmy sky jimmy um he I saw him my second day when I'm in Madagascar and he had been burned when he was about 11 years old and the burn had never healed and it had become so infected that you could see the bones and he couldn't wait bare on that leg. So the burn was on his shin and on his foot and like I, I can't quite get across how bad this infection was. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. It was wrapped in a blanket and his leg was covered in flies and he hobbled in because he couldn't put weight on this leg. And I had to see him outside on the dock because we wouldn't let him into the hospital with this infection and you could smell it. And I was just like, it's my second day. What am I supposed to do? And I was doing a pre-op assessment on him and I was basically like a, this I can't assess this it's and I was trying not to let my eyes drift down to it and let him get horrified by how horrified I was um 
But in the end, the only thing we could offer him was a below knee amputation. Um, and I think like that was the first time it really hit me that these guys don't have healthcare over there or they can't afford healthcare. Um, this is just an infection that was never treated and it's got so bad that he's been homeless because his family wouldn't let him into their house because it's he's got this infection. He can't work. Um, and I, to be honest, I think he was very lucky to be alive. And if we weren't there, um, I don't know how much longer he would have survived. So I saw him on my second day. And then about a week later, we gave him this amputation. And I went round on the ward round with the team. And the day after his surgery, he was sitting bolt upright in his hospital bed after just having a baloney amputation. And he had the biggest grin on his face that I have ever seen. He was so happy. And he couldn't wait to get up and get moving. And he was just like, this is the coolest thing that's ever happened. And you know, normally people are not that happy when they've just had their leg amputated, but he <laughs> he was stoked. It was amazing. And so, yeah, I worked with him really closely for the whole time I was there. And he was a jokester and he just took on everything we could give him and he just had this huge grin. And um, unfortunately, just as we started weight-bearing with him, he, so he'd been like the amputation had healed, he was doing really well, and we just started doing some partial weight-bearing. He started getting a, a bit of pain, and so we ended up getting an X-ray, and he had developed a bone spur at the end of his tibia. So we had to take him back to theatre to get that cut off. And at this time, there was um, the plastic surgeon who had done his amputation had left. So we had to ask around the surgeons that were on the ship at the time and say, anyone want to take this bone spur off? And there was a plastic surgeon there who works with faces. He only ever does cleft lips and like facial surgeries. But he was like, yeah, I think I can do this. So he did it. And he took me into theatre with him. So I watched. And then afterwards he said, um, now I don't normally work with um, amputations or with lower limbs. So maybe you can tell me what I should write for his weight bearing status and things <laughs> like that. So I filled in his post-op plan. And um, and then we got, so it just meant that his rehab had been delayed quite a lot. And we couldn't actually start getting a prosthesis made to him till near the end of my service there. But um, there's a, a man that can make prosthesis, fortunately, at the local hospital. So Jimmy and I went to the local hospital, which was amazing to see in itself. And there's this guy who has polio and he's um, hobbling on one leg with a walking stick. And he was like, yeah, I can make it. And it was going to cost us about 60 Australian dollars to get this lower limb prosthesis made and it was going to take him a week and um and he measured it up but it was the most crude measuring i've ever seen <laughs> and then he went across and started using um all this equipment which was sending sparks everywhere and he had no protective gear of any sort and you just like, oh, yeah this is the norm and a week later he had this prosthesis and i have to admit it was a big chunky thing but it was comfortable, and by the time I left, he was walking unaided in this prosthesis, and when he had long pants on, you wouldn't even know, and it was amazing. It was just the coolest thing to see. And he was yeah. so happy the whole time and so grateful. Oh, that's fantastic, and have you heard at all how he's doing now? No, I haven't. It's, pre it's pretty hard to keep in touch. Um, I've kept in touch with a lot of the interpreters that I've worked with, Mm -hmm. um, and because the whole time they only speak Malagasy, the patients, a few speak French, but the majority speak Malagasy. So the whole time we're there, we're, we're working with interpreters. 
Um, and, and so I've kept in touch with a lot of the interpreters, but not any of the patients. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask you what the language barrier was like, um, but obviously uh, with interpreters there, they do a uh, do a very good job of breaching that uh, that barrier. Yeah, they're amazing. They're all local interpreters, and um, they just they were incredible with the work. They they were so much more than interpreters. They became really good friends, and they took us out and showed us around the city, and um, and helped out with our therapy. And yeah, they're amazing. Wicked. And Hannah, another barrier that we talked about just before we started recording as well is that um, the kind of discrepancy between beliefs. Um, so the the patients that you were seeing, their tribal beliefs, um, and I know the, the Mercy Ships you were saying uh, is a Christian organization. How did how did those two things kind of stack up? So, yeah, so it's a Christian organization. It does accept anyone from any faith as long as uh, you share your same values, basically. Um, so I'm not from a religious background, but I do share the same values of community and um, and love and forgiveness, basically. So I was quite open to going, but I have to admit, once I got there, I realized there's a huge spectrum of how much people um, sort of live out their beliefs. And it was a huge educational um, experience for me, but one that I really enjoyed. And then the patients as well, there's a real mix of patients um, like, some of the local Malagasy are Christian, and I think it's becoming more and more. Um, and so of any religion, that's the most prevalent. Um, but there's also really strong tribal beliefs. And there are some patients who have taken on Christianity and completely forgotten about their tribal beliefs, and they have become outcasts from their families, and um, they were not welcome anymore. And then there's some families that have accepted a mixture of both. And then there's some that obviously aren't Christian and are all about the tribal beliefs. Um, and probably one example, like it's hard to explain too much without you being there. I think when you're actually there, it is one of the most spiritual, even for someone who haven't really thought much about spiritual experiences, this was easily the most spiritual thing you could ever um, experience. And I think there's something really special about how they run mercy ships because there's just these most amazing things happen and you there's no way you can explain how these people with these terrible injuries or this terrible wound that you're worried isn't going to heal before you leave somehow does and things work out and um, and people just say, you know, it's because it's a spiritual place here. Good things happen. It sounds like you've given so much to everybody that you worked with there in terms of staff and, and patients that you saw. But it also sounds like you've you've taken a lot from this experience yourself as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It was as much an experience for me. That's what everyone said. They're like, a lot of people have said to me, oh, you're so selfless. How can you give up four months to go work for free? And I was like, no, that's not what it's about. It was an experience for me. It was something I wanted to do. I felt um, 
I felt really privileged to be a part of this organization. Um, so it was, yeah, much more about the experience for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What sort of things did you learn about yourself while you were over there? Um, I, I think I've come back more confident and, um, and I think I, yeah, I feel more open to um, things I haven't done before and challenges and um you know we had to solve a lot of stuff on our own we didn't have that many resources and we had to prioritize and um and i so i think now i deal with challenge i might deal with challenges with a bit more i think i've always dealt with challenges quite well but i think i deal with it with a bit more confidence from the beginning Um, just getting better at exploring the uncomfortable yeah exactly yeah good Good. And that's one of the reasons I asked you to come on the podcast today as well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Hannah, can you tell me about a time that you've failed and what you learned from it? Yeah, I find this sort of thing quite a hard thing to talk about. Um, More because I don't like to think of things as failures, but Mm -hmm. more as learning opportunities. (laughs) Um, But I guess one thing would be um, we had one patient um, where um, he had a very complicated um, burn to his hand and his fingers and I haven't had that much experience in hand therapy and I was working with one of the occupational therapists and she also didn't have that much experience in hand therapy and we really worried about this guy and we did a huge amount of research. Fortunately, we had really good Wi-Fi on the ship so like you could Google everything. So we did all this research and we clinically reasoned what we thought was the best thing for this guy and we made splints for his fingers and we started the exercises and about two weeks after we'd done all of this and started this therapy a very experienced hand therapist from the states came and joined the team and we were very grateful for her she couldn't have arrived at a better time but she pretty much changed everything that we did and she threw out our splints and she um, just started completely afresh and Mel and I were both kind of like oh we put a lot of effort into this we really thought we're on the right track like we clinically reasoned what was going on and I guess the end of the day we we didn't know and we still learned a huge lot and I still think what we did was helpful for this patient but you know unless you've had 40 years experience in hand therapy it's pretty hard and it was incredibly complex hand um I, I was yeah, I was looking all these things up. I was ringing dad because my dad's a surgeon and so I was ringing him for advice. I was doing all this stuff and then we were completely on the wrong track. But, um, but yeah, so I don't know. It was still a learning curve and I still feel like we dealt with challenge as well as we could considering the resources and um, what we had. Yeah, yeah. It's easy to um, to kind of go off on a slightly different track when you're when you're doing things that you're that you're unfamiliar with as well so I mean it sounds like you you managed it really really well um but potentially not quite the same as this very experienced hand therapist was was about to but that's okay as you say it's a, it's all a learning experience um, yeah I'm sure he still would have improved <laughs> yeah this might have taken a bit longer yeah good good 
Hannah, what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did and how did you get through it? Um, well, last week, last week and a half, I've had about 80% worth of university work due. So it was a pretty uncomfortable two weeks trying to get everything done while working. Um, so that's probably the most recent uncomfortable thing I've done. But I got through it and I... I'm pretty good. I don't stress too much. Um, and I can work hard when I need to. So, like, I I knew it was going to be a hard, hard two weeks and I kind of prioritised as much as I could. And I wasn't very social for a while. <laughs> but I got through it. And now I feel really good. <laughs> it's all handed in. Awesome. Great work. What's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do? Um, well, I kind of got the travel bug from going to Africa for six months. So now I'm going to do, as part of my master's that I'm doing at the moment, I'm going to spend six weeks in a hospital in Hyderabad in India as an internship, which um, I'll do a research paper on for my master's. So at the beginning of January, I'm going to be off again. Um, and this time to India, which I think is going to be a whole other cultural shock to what Madagascar was. And I'm a bit nervous about it. But I think it'll be really fun at the same time. I'm sure that it will be. And I'm sure that uh, just like in Madagascar, you'll get over those nerves pretty quickly as well. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Hannah, I've got one more question for you. But before I ask it, I just want to say thank you for spending some time with me tonight and having a chat about your experiences um, and thank you for kind of being selfish and going over and working on the mercy ships and getting a whole lot out of it for yourself but also giving a whole lot back uh, as well to, to all the people that you that you met and that you worked with there and hopefully you've uh, inspired a few other people to go and uh, seek out the mercy ships and do a little bit of work with them themselves yeah i hope so it's the most amazing experience and i love talking about it to anyone who will listen so <laughs> thank <laughs> you a, for asking me <laughs> oh, that's all right it's a great medium for it then yeah hannah before we go do you have any advice or life lessons or interesting facts to leave me and the listeners with no not really except that you know, I I just think you once you start doing something like you, like you'll sort of see once you start doing something uncomfortable or once you put yourself out there and do some something that was a bit of a challenge, it makes the next one that much easier. And you realize I'm I'm happiest when I'm busy or when I've got something to look forward to. So now I guess the things I'm looking forward to are just starting to get a bit bigger and a bit more exciting and. Um, and I think, you know, I never thought that I would be comfortable doing something like that. And um, it's now become one of the coolest things I've ever done. So um, don't be scared, I guess, maybe. Cool. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think, that's, I think that's great advice to finish up on. Thanks very much for your time tonight, Hannah. Oh, you're welcome.